Welcome to Two Pastors Take a Walk and Make a Podcast. This is Yolando, and as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we're preaching. We are sitting in two really squeaky chairs today, so <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry for the audio. What is astonishing you, Hinton? Well, I am celebrating uh, someone that I would normally criticize. Oh. Yes, uh, because of what seems to be maybe possibly is, the jury's still out, but it seems like genuine repentance. Okay. And I am talking about the televangelist, Benny Hinn. I don't know if you've heard anything about him lately. Not lately. But he has rejected um, the prosperity gospel, which is astonishing because he has been one of the leaders mm-hmm. and greatest beneficiaries financially mm-hmm. from this false theology. And so recently, and I watched the video, and I was amazed because it's it was in a charismatic setting. And you know, I'm not mad at Pentecostals sure. and charismatics. I think we mainline Protestants in North America have a lot to learn from that uh, part of the body of Christ, their emphasis on the gifting and powerful work of the Holy Spirit, but this part of their theology has uh, been just way off from uh, um, scripture, but it was, it's been amazing to hear him say, hey, this emphasis on money, uh, saying things like, hey, if you want to break the back of debt, send me a thousand dollars. He's been known to do that. Um, And he is telling people, stop preaching this, which is amazing. Um, he has a nephew named Costi. Costi um, is a pastor, I believe, in California, and I've been listening to interviews with Costi for the past at least year and a half, and Costi says that life with his Uncle Benny was like, it was somewhere between living in the royal family and a mob family, right? They had the, the wealth of the royal family and the kind of secrecy and power and, uh, you know, you don't tell the family secrets like a mob family. And so about a a couple of years ago, he started saying, look, this is wrong. My uncle is wrong. This whole movement I've been in is wrong. And um, he's been on a number of podcasts and uh, even uh, like mainstream media interviews Mm -hmm. saying this. And so it's, it's pretty amazing to me that Benny Hinn now is saying, you're right. This is wrong. I think personally, it takes a great deal of humility and sure. courage. Sure. Um, now, it remains to be seen what he's going to do with all the money that he's gotten. Is he going to pull a Zacchaeus? Or? Right. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't. We, we don't know. Uh, like all of his jets and his, you know, yeah. great home. Yeah. Um, but I just want to celebrate in this moment yeah that he's even saying this because i think there are two great benefits number one for benny hen's own soul 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but also for the whole Pentecostal charismatic movement. I mean, yeah. some have called the last hundred years the charismatic century, you know, even as the mainline yeah. church in North America and Europe declines. The church in the global south is growing, and that's primarily Pentecostal charismatic. Mm-hmm. And if they can do this kind of course correction in their theology, then blessings on them, I think it just bodes well for their next hundred years. Yeah. And yeah. it gives me hope that maybe, possibly, someday, somehow, there will be leaders in our movement saying, "You know what? Yeah. Here's where we need where we to went repent." Off track and yeah. Where, yeah. No. Yeah. I. Yeah. No. I agree. And it's worth celebrating and naming as normal, right? Yeah. I mean, this is a normal, healthy thing that Christians do. Yeah. Because we don't worship ourselves, we worship Jesus, and so when we discover that we've been wrong, it's just a, oh, I I'm wrong, and I'm gonna make it right, and I'm gonna get back on track because, I you know I'm not here for my pride, and I'm not yeah. here for my good reputation. So, yeah, no, that's that's great. I I I can't believe I missed that, um, but that's great. Yeah, it's been pretty big. Um, so yeah, I don't know how you missed it because you you're you're usually. Yeah, no, I, up on I things more than I am. I don't know where I was recently. I was traveling somewhere um, and flipping through. I don't know where I would have been, but like flipping through TV channels and not my hometown. Maybe I was when I was at the beach with my kids mm. and and my husband with my family, and um, and I you know I was flipping to Disney or something, and there were just these really slick commercials for somebody's faith water, and people were talking about. You like send it away, and then all these people giving testimonies about. I like, drank the water. I drank the and water, and then I'm I got healed. a check for ten thousand dollars. I mean, like it just was amazing to yeah. say, you know, this is really. I mean, clearly, this is lucrative, and that they're investing the money in. I mean, it, it was not two a.m. on you know. Yeah. I mean, it just it, it was astonishing to me to see how much the theology of freedom of the gospel and the and the right theology of generosity can be twisted into being a, a noose against really vulnerable people absolutely i mean the people giving testimony i mean it's not a ceo saying like my marriage was in trouble and now we're okay i mean it's people who are clearly you know not i mean economically vibrant who are anyway so it was a very hard thing so well that's great good good for benny yeah <laughs> <laughs> Again, I am astonished because I have to admit, I, know, I have not been a fan. He's one of your non-favorites. Yes, yes. and yeah. so, you no, know, kudos to him. That's good. So what is astonishing you? Um, you know, this weekend I was really happy um, to be um, uh, officiating at a wedding of this young man who was part of my youth group at the church that mm. I served before I came to the Grove. And um, it was just one of those moments where um, I think... 20 years-ish into ministry, I now really know what I believe about marriage um, in the mm, same way that, I get that for a long time I've known what I believe about death and the resurrection, mm-hmm. right? And so I just um, am always just A, so honored to be invited into people's lives at such a like sacred moment mm. right just as a it's just this huge privilege and then to get to stand up and be invited to say hey this is what what I know is true um and and 
this idea that when we, you know, make these covenant vows to love one another, that we're not saying, I love you and so I'm going to make you happy for the rest of your life. Mm. Or I love you and so I'm going to make sure nothing bad happens to you for the rest of your life. But what we are saying, um, which I think you don't realize what a what a powerful and precious and sacred thing it is until you get sort of a little bit further down the road in life. It's what we are saying is no matter what happens, I'll face it with you yeah. and you, and you won't be alone yeah. and that there are going to be, you know, good seasons and there are going to be bad seasons, but there will never be alone seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think, you know, that's something, you know, when you're young and you've been, you know, privileged and lucky, I think you don't, you don't, you sort of know intellectually that bad mm-hmm. things can happen, but you don't it's feel hard, like it's hard to can. appreciate, right? And, and so the idea that someone will be with you in bad times feels like, well, I'm not going to have any of them, so <laughs> that doesn't seem like enough of a promise. But you, you live a little longer and and just see that you know people, God's beloved, suffer mm. and go through really hard times, and yeah. and. Um, the gift of having someone who bears with you in love mm-hmm. or being able to bear with someone in love through loss and sickness and, you know, yeah. anyway. So it was just a, it was a beautiful privilege to be able to be there and, and just to see, you know, I have not been um, serving at Cook's for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And so to still be invited into somebody's life after that time is just I don't know. It just was really beautiful. And I, and I guess I don't ever want to get to a point where it's like, Oh, got to do a wedding. I mean, you know, that this is just a really, I believe in marriage. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I believe in sort of understanding what it is mm. and rejecting, I mean, lies about what it was never mm. intended mm-hmm. to be. Like I think sometimes not always, but sometimes we get, you know, we reject our marriages because, because we thought, that they were going to be something that they never had the capacity to be. Yeah, and so yeah, yeah. anyway, um, I was just very um, astonished and, and you know, not surprised, but just, mm. you know, aware of yeah. what a, what a glorious privilege it is mm. and, and what an honor it is. And it was really joyful and it was great. So awesome. that is what has astonished me this week. What are you thinking about? I'm not quite sure how to how to say it. Um, well, let me start by talking about the Grove, because you guys have done a lot of work around having hard conversations with one another because of your values. That because of your values, certain kinds of conflict arise in your community, mm-hmm. which means that if you're going to be faithful, you got to have some hard conversations. Mm-hmm. And we are coming into that time. Um, last year, about this time last year, our elders went away on retreat and we um, discerned uh, core values and we have those mm-hmm. At the Grove. Um, that's right. We were at yeah. your church. That's right. Yeah. And um, so we've been trying to get our heads around, okay, so now what do we do to live these out? Well, mm-hmm. now we have this opportunity because something has come up, um, and it's around our value of diversity. And um, this isn't the situation, but let's just say 
you know, what if someone on a Sunday morning recites a poem and the poem talks about the blackness of sin? Mm-hmm. And the poem also says that what Jesus does for us is make us white as snow. Mm-hmm. Right? If you're seeking to be a multi-ethnic community, yep. you got to talk about that. Yep. And up to this point, we have not. And um, it's now time. I, I just feel that in my spirit. And um, something has come up, and I brought it to the elders And I know that for a lot of baby boomers, I think I'm right about this, and I hope I'm not being unfair to baby boomers, but I think for a lot of baby boomers, simply having a diversity of people in the room is great victory. It's like, okay, we got them in the room. That's great. And that is wonderful. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And then for us Gen Xers, it's like, no, there's there's some work to do in terms of building relationships. And I think for millennials, it's, no, we we need to talk about some hard stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think it's just time for us uh, to have a conversation around uh, the kinds of things we do that unintentionally are hurtful. And one of the things that brought this up, and you and I talked about this last week, I think over coffee, um, that there was a, there's an event coming in another church in yep. our presbytery yeah. called the Kirken of the Tartans, right? right. And, and these are lovely people. This is a lovely church. And um, I like people there, and I know they like me. But when I saw this event in an email, I was shocked and surprised because if I were a member, if I were a guest in that church, which is predominantly a white church, well, well wait, it's, let's explain what Kirking of the Tartans are because I had never heard that before <laughs> I came to Charlotte. So it is a weird little Mechdeck Mecklenburg thing, but it's this more like several churches around here do it, at least mm-hmm. Presbyterian churches, mm-hmm. and it's a, a day where everyone celebrates their Scottish heritage, yes. and so you're supposed to come to church dressed in your family's tartan. Yes. So, obviously, if you're not, I mean... If you're not Scottish. If you're not Scottish, the completely explicit message is... This isn't for you. This isn't your church. Yes. You got the wrong heritage. Yes. Um, and But to the people inside the church, yes. I mean, it's, it is the exact line that you'll hear people talk with the confederate flag like yeah. oh it's not about excluding you yeah. it's about celebrating me yeah. like that wasn't my intention yes. and so if you're offended by that i mean you know i'm sorry if you're offended but you should be more generous and don't assume my don't assume my heart or you know that's judgmental yes. of you but the reality is when you take worship of the lord jesus christ on a sunday morning and say today we are celebrating the heritage of us and saying us are people with a Scottish heritage. I mean, a it's just bad, bad, bad theology. Mm. It is anti-gospel in the sense that is anti-evangelism. It is saying to people, if if you don't got a family tartan, you you don't belong. Yeah. So it's it's bad. Yeah. And frankly, you know, I mean, I feel like. I've been unfaithful in mm. the sense that I have no I've never served a church where this has happened. Mm-hmm. But I've known that this happened in the presbytery and as a presbyter, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm a member of the presbytery, so I probably should have written them a letter and said, you know, just so you know, 
this is really problematic. And, you know, it wasn't that long ago when we were all at a presbytery meeting and in the morning we were in the sanctuary and in the afternoon we went to their fellowship hall and all around the top of their fellowship hall, and this is a different church, mm. are, the, are the tartans of the church. Mm-hmm. And they're hanging there with this explanation. And again, what this says explicitly yeah. is these are the families at our church. They are white, historic, uh, whatever, Scottish families. That's who this church belongs to. conviction is that book that I was telling you, I think two weeks ago, that I'm reading about nice and how Jesus has called us to something more. Like, why have I not written a letter to that church? Why didn't I? Because it's not nice. It's not nice to make people feel bad about something that, in all honesty, they probably don't mean to do. That's not their intention. Yes, absolutely. But just because something isn't your intention Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that it's not dividing the body of Christ yeah. and wounding people and affecting our witness. And if I say, well, I want these people to like me, so I'm not going to speak my truth, mm-hmm. especially to, you know, church leaders. I mean, yeah. that's who we're talking about. Um, then then that's me being unfaithful. And sometimes I think you have to choose between being perceived as nice and being faithful. Mm-hmm. And, um, the, yeah, that's a that's a place for it. Yeah, and I'm looking for a way to have a conversation that doesn't immediately throw their fight or flight response through the roof, sure. right? And so, sure. and and maybe I'm trying too hard to be nice, but you know, I know at the end of the day there is a way. I believe there is a way to get my brothers and sisters to hear me. Well, right. And we don't just throw people away. I mean, like, I, I think that it's a paradigm shift. Yeah. I mean, yeah. part of it is as pastors having yeah. realistic expectations of people that, A, we have been places they haven't been privileged to, and we've been to the well, and mm-hmm. it's our job to bring water back. Mm-hmm. And also to say, people have been formed very deliberately by a church culture for 50 years. Yes. And so... We don't need to throw people away like garbage just because they can't spin yes. on a dime mm-hmm. and, and pivot, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a process. So I, I do think it's not unfaithful or seeking mm. to be nice to say to people, like, let's have an ongoing conversation about this. Let's yes. create some space in yeah. the context of relationship to say, you know, we're not in the same place, but I think the Holy Spirit can bring us to the same place. Absolutely. And one of the things I've heard you emphasize at The Grove is that you start at a place where you say, you know what? No one is evil here. Right. This is an opportunity for us to live out our values. This is actually good conflict. This right. will make us all better, healthier, stronger, more unified. So let's lean into this. Right. And I think part of the issue is I don't want I don't want a litmus test at the door, right? Where right. we sort people yes. and say, yes. you're welcome to come in if you already agree mm-hmm. about all of these mm-hmm. things. I want to be in a congregation where people can be growing yes. into the vision of Jesus that I have. And 
that that I have that I believe is from the Holy Spirit. And so that means people who are not yet there or who disagree, if they're willing to be in this community and be exposed to these values, heck yeah, I want them there. I absolutely do. Because how can we change one another's hearts and minds if we refuse to be in relationship with one another? So, but I mean, I do think it's that... You know, we in the larger culture, we're we're in this like all or nothing, mm-hmm. you know, good or bad, black or white duality With me or against me, right? And like, and it is often mm-hmm. um, seen in sort of in the progressive social movement. Like, if you are in conversation with people who aren't quote uh, you know who aren't already quote woke, like then you're, <laughs> you know, you're not a good ally. You're no. a betrayer. You're whatever. Mm-hmm. And I mean, maybe like that that might be true, but for me. As a follower of the gospel, I feel like I need to be in relationships with people who are beloved and wrong Yeah. from my perspective yeah. for two reasons. A, because I want to bring transformation, and B, because maybe it's me. I was going to say, at some level, I'm that person. Well, correct. And at some point, I'm going to be that person. Correct. And, you know, what I want is to lift up the truth, and I believe the truth is Jesus, and so what that means is... You know, we stay in conversation with one another, not by avoiding it and not by pretending that everything is okay, but we stay in conversation with each other, trusting that the Holy Spirit is going to do work probably in both of our hearts. Mm. But, you know, I walk into that conversation open hand saying like, look, this is this is what the Spirit has shown me. This is what I know to be true. And I'm being vulnerable and sharing this with you. And I will listen in return and you might reject me. Or you might convict me that mm-hmm. I've been wrong all along, but either yeah. way, you know that's how I'm entering into this, yeah, into this place. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's that's what we're thinking about, and that's what we're leaning into at Dorada Church. So. Because ultimately, with the people involved, either they're going to have like a heart burst moment mm-hmm. and an awakening moment, mm-hmm. or they might just discern, actually, I don't share these values, yeah. Yeah. and so I can't be a part of this community. Yeah. And either of those are healthy. Yes. I mean, they really are. And you never know when the heart burst moment's going to come. Correct. It right. might be that they Down the road leave for a while mm-hmm. and then later on. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. that's all possible. But I think, you know, when to be nice, you have to, you know, yeah. suppress the truth. That's not faithful. There's a, there's a, I think it's in the book of Proverbs. And I used to quote this a lot. And I haven't thought about this, this verse in a long time. Um, it says, Faithful are the wounds of a, of a friend. friend. Yeah. Right? Yep, yep. right. Well, and I think part of it also is about saying, and it's funny, I was just talking to a group about this this week. It's about saying, I my one of my presuppositions is that the Holy Spirit is bringing everyone into the community. So anybody mm. who's in the community at any capacity has been led there by the Spirit for some reason, mm-hmm. you know, not everyone is going to join the church. Not everyone is going to become a leader. Not every, I mean, you know, but, but this, they're there for a reason. And yeah. so when I remember that, then I say like, okay, even if this person is out of step, or even if this person appears to me to be out of step, or even if this person is appearing to be doing something that, you know, I think is slowing us down or holding us back or causing pain or tension. Mm-hmm. Also remember the Holy Spirit has brought this person to this community. So this might not be pleasant, whatever is about to happen. It might not be comfortable, but I can trust that it will be 
holy for them, for me, for the community as a whole, even if it's hard, it's a chance to practice living out our values. And it's a practice, a chance for us to learn that God is trustworthy. So it might be a hard moment, a hard couple days, but eventually we'll get through it and be able to look back at it and go, oh, the Lord was faithful, faithful to our brother, faithful to us, faithful to his church, Mm -hmm. you know? And so the next time, kind of doesn't feel so much like the sky is falling yeah. every time something comes. Mm-hmm. So, wow. yeah, I mean, that's that's yeah. the work. And, I mean, frankly, yeah. as a white person, I feel like one of the things we have to understand is we can wound people and hurt people and genuinely not mean to do it. Yes. And that has to still matter to us, right? Yeah. It can't be that our self-understanding of our goodness is more important than mm. actual pain we're causing mm. other people. So if if you were to come to me and say like, "Kate, you said that thing and it, you know, it was racist and it mm. whatever," I have to care more mm. that I've hurt my friend yeah, yeah, than, yeah. than that you've hurt my ego. And if wow. what matters most to me is my ego, then then that's a problem yeah. wow. for me. And yeah. I think so many for white people, because we've been taught that we're the default standard of normal and good, mm-hmm. it's just so hard to wrap your mind around the fact that, like, no, you actually, without even meaning to, sure. can do real damage to other people, either by things that you've done or things that you've just accepted, mm. you know, systems that you've just thought like, oh, it's okay. It's not such a big deal. I mean, it, it really matters even when we don't mean it. Cause we tend to want to, you know, wave our heart card and be like, oh, but that wasn't on my heart. Yes. Like, so it doesn't count. Yes. Like, no, somebody else's pain counts. Yes. Even if yes. you didn't intend to cause them yes. pain. Like, and if a disciple of Jesus Christ can't understand that, mm-hmm. then, then, I'm not sure that we really understand wow. the gospel. The gospel, yeah. Because so. there is no condemnation. Like, I'm entering in this co- into this conversation not to condemn. Right, because your job is to pastor people and yes. help their eyes be yes. open. But I would just say, like, the people who crucified Jesus really did not intend to crucify the son of God. Right. Like that, I mean, they, (laughs) yes, they really did not believe this was the Messiah. They really thought that they, Mm -hmm. some of them at least Mm -hmm. were crucifying someone who deserved, like that was not Mm -hmm. their intention. And yet it still matters that the son of God suffered and died on the cross. Like that, that pain still Mm -hmm. matters. And we have to care about hurting people more than about our reputation. That's good. Well, before we leave this, I just want to clearly say the example I gave about the poem, that's not what we're dealing with. Correct. No, no, I understand. At Dorida. That is not it. It, it It's a similar subject, but that's not the But I feel like this is a helpful conversation to have because everybody wants to be a diverse church. But one of the places... It's work. Well, it's work and this is very normal work. Yes. Like, this is a very normal kind of thing that people, both black and white, should expect. Like, for people of color, if you're gonna be in a diverse church with white people, sometimes we are dumb and we will need... Don't deserve. Mm -hmm. Like, we don't deserve it. Mm -hmm. But we will need our brothers and sisters to come to us in love and, and... do, help us do the emotional work of yeah. coming to terms with our whiteness mm-hmm. and with white supremacy and mm-hmm. with the ways that we've internalized the system. Yeah. And white people, if you want to be in a diverse church, 
that's authentic, where you have authentic relationships with people, then you need to understand that it's going to be, it's normal that things that are sacred to you, you're going to discover affect other people in in really important ways that you did not intend. And you're going to have to decide, do I love this sacred thing or do Mm. I want to love my actual Mm. flesh and blood brother and sister? This is what it costs. And if you're not willing to pay the cost, that's fine. But don't ask, why isn't my church diverse? Yes. Because you don't want to have these conversations. Mm. And so... That's the way it is. Because it's just normal. So it's good to say, this is normal. Nobody's a horrible scumbag. That's not what we're talking about. We're just talking about overthrowing these powers and principalities is uncomfortable, messy, hard work that requires humility and bearing with one another in love. And if you don't want to do that, then... Wow. Your church will not be diverse. You just preached. I feel like calling the <laughs> the, 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 the ushers with the offering plates and <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, what are you thinking about? Uh, I'm thinking about a really interesting conversation I had with someone I very much admire um, this week, um, who is who just the Lord has done an incredible thing in this person's life um, that just grew out of a very small ordinary act of faithfulness and out of that what from the outside looked like a small you know almost inconsequential act of faithfulness has over the years grown and grown and grown and now this person is um, leading um, a ministry and that's really significant in the city and really faithful and I just um I just am really encouraged and inspired um, by by the Christ mm. that I see in in her life. That to me, that's just the way the gospel works, right? Sure. You, you take one step in obedience and in faithfulness, and then it's sort of like offering your life like a canvas to God, and you just have no idea yeah. what kind of art God's going to create on it, sure. like far beyond anything we could hope or mm. ask or imagine. Mm. I read that somewhere, right? Mm. Yeah, I think. Anyway, yeah. Um, and so <laughs> it was funny because um, this person was talking to me about um ministering at the grove and was saying you know what that (laughs) saying that she saw the anointing in it and like like she'd never seen in other places and I was like that's interesting do you look in the mirror (laughs) like do you not understand that that your life tells the same story or whatever um but then said to me but but how do you keep your your joy and your hopefulness and and you know you just your zeal for the kingdom when when you're working in the church, and every day you see the sausage getting made, mm-hmm. and um, it was interesting because I know that this person is part of um, a church in the city that is um, big mm-hmm. and wealthy mm. and well regarded mm. and is institutionally very very strong mm. um, and I happen to know that um, it's not the healthiest environment for staff members mm-hmm. at least um, and I'm you know I, and I think that that's what my friend was saying like this is just you know there's just this assumption that like when you've been on the quote inside of a church that um people behave badly or or treat each other badly Mm -hmm. um and 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 i think often we 
um, are tempted to just kind of excuse it or accept it and say like, well, but the, the stakes are so high or, or the ministry is so important or, you know, the, the, the minister, what, what it's producing is that, you know, we just, it just is the way it has to be. Like sometimes you just have to, you know, just is, it's the sausage getting made. Like the sausage is good. The process is bad (laughs) behind the scenes, whatever. And I, I just, you know, I heard that comment and I was like, yeah, I mean, we're not making sausage at the Grove. Like I don't, that, I'm not to say, not to say that the church is perfect because it, because it is not perfect. Mm -hmm. And not to say that people, meaning me, always, you know, do the right thing in every moment or don't make mistakes or don't, you know, I mean, it's not perfect. And in fact, I tell people that when they join the church, like right now you're joining the church because, you know, you, you see everything that it is and you love it and you celebrate it. And it's what it's, you've been looking for. And like what you see is true, but like, it's not the whole truth. And mm-hmm. sometime along the way, you know, somebody's gonna, you know, hurt you sin against you disappoint you we're not so you know good. and so you yeah. just gotta know now that are you gonna stick with this right because we're very you know so, so i'm not saying that the grove is perfect because it isn't and i'm not saying that the grove people are perfect because they're not um but i mean the values of the congregation are sincerely like we're sincerely striving for them mm-hmm. um so what is said publicly in the sanctuary on Sunday mornings, we are authentically trying mm-hmm. to live those values out, closed door, session room, interpersonal, like, like there's, you know, there's connection there. And I think, you know, I, I used to frankly think, you know, before I was a part of this transformation experience that there was just a certain amount of ugly bad behavior that we just had to put up with in the church that some people were just gonna hate you as the pastor and say and do ugly mm. mean things and it was just your cross to bear to just like put up with that like that's just the yeah. way it was and, yeah. and I wasn't even mad about it right mm. like it was worth mm-hmm. it to me mm-hmm. um but it's so amazing to be in a community and say like no 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 we don't we don't have to decide yeah to make sausage like we could decide i mean and there's a through line between all of these conversations right there there is we do have the choice Mm -hmm. to do the scary difficult work of talking about the thing right so if someone does something out of their pain out of their humanity that's just wildly inappropriate that that as a leader or a vulnerable person in the community doesn't have to be expected to just swallow it Mm -hmm. or if a leader does something that's just not right but then we're trying to protect the image of the leader and so Mm. we just you know don't we 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 hide it right i mean because my thing is like sometimes in the church we are going to make choices and decisions that are not popular and that might cost Mm. us money and members and while confidentiality is always appropriate Mm -hmm. and required secrecy is not that's good and so when we keep things secret then that is just a sign that something isn't right Mm -hmm. um so i don't know it's just a really interesting moment and i'm just thinking about and and one of the things i realized is you know this person is coming from an institution that's really strong Mm -hmm. and so there's a reason that things are happening in secrecy and that you know because there's so much at stake 
with preserving the institution, which does good things yeah. in the city, right? Like, I'm not saying that that's not the case, but mm-hmm. but I, I think we were saying on the walk, like, if your ministry is so important that it regularly requires you to violate the values of the gospel and then pretend you didn't have, then then that's a problem. Like, if we're doing ministry that's so important that we have to, we have to, you know, lie to each other or or wound each other mm-hmm. or refuse to ask for forgiveness or extend forgiveness. Like that's that's I don't know. Like I just think the one of the greatest strengths, and you know, I don't enjoy the fact that, you know, sometimes we don't know how we're gonna pay a particular bill or I can, you know, mm-hmm. cycle out and think like, oh gosh, if those three families or four families leave, we're gonna I mean, you know, I don't enjoy being institutionally fragile at all. But I also I don't want to be institutionally strong sitting on mm. you know an endowment in the bank when that means that when certain people sin you that we can't, can't say, say anything about it or we got to pretend it's normal or we got to say to somebody like sorry you just you're just a casualty of this person's brokenness but we can't address that here because we're too dependent i mean mm-hmm. it's just and it just happens. Like I think so often in our churches and as church leaders, we don't trust God to take care of us. And so we just do the best we can in a situation to keep going for another day because we really don't think that God will show up. And we really, we really believe like I got to do this or else, you know, the gospel won't be able to be preached at all. Right. Like, and I just, I mean, whatever I, I have been, had this amazing privilege of learning that actually God can provide for our churches. Mm. Um, even (laughs) when, I mean, even when, you know, all the natural means of support dry up and are blown away. And I'm not saying that God always will. I mean, God doesn't owe us anything, but this idea that we will, you know, we will cut, cut parts out of the gospel in order to maintain our control in doing the, I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. Like either we live by it, and are willing to die by it, or we're, we're not the church. So what do you think your friend heard when you said, we don't make sausage here? I mean, I, I don't know. But I mean, I think, it's funny, I was talking to someone else who was a member of the Grove, and um, she was saying that often people come and visit the Grove and say, like, oh, you're so lucky. Like, oh, this is such an amazing congregation. Like, it's so amazing. You can be part of this community, these people. And you know, and, and, and I mean, the reality is anybody could be like, and, and so it's just this idea that like, you can't have everything through line, right? Like we do not have the kind of institutional stability that a lot of people feel like is just an absolute need when choosing a faith community, right? Like I can't promise you that when you show up every Sunday morning, it's going to be comfortable. I cannot promise you that your kid will get to do the coolest short-term mission trips to Costa Rica. Actually, I can pretty much promise you that won't happen, right? I mean, like, they're just, there are, it costs something. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think when we want everything, or sometimes we just think things are necessary that, that ultimately are not necessary. And, um, you know, it's the great pearl. So I think sometimes we, we give things up when we recognize that actually, you know, God finds another way to provide, to provide them for us or that actually they weren't the most valuable things anyway. Or or your phone rings in the middle of the Or that better be Jesus calling, <laughs> as they used to say in the group. Or we recognize that we give things up and actually what we gained was just far greater value than I could, you know, 
I heard a I heard somebody say once, I consider it all garbage mm. in light of the surpassing value of the gospel. So anyway, I just um that's what I'm thinking about. That's great. So what are you preaching about? We are beginning the last chapter of Philippians. Woo-hoo. We're beginning chapter four, and so amazing. We're just looking at three verses this week. Yeah. And Paul, so you know, of course, Paul is in prison in Rome, and he sends this letter to the church in Philippi that he loves dearly. I mean, Paul loves these people. And so this letter would have, there goes my phone again. Wow. <laughs> so there's a, so, so there's like a button on the side of your phone that you can like press. I, I hope you leave this in the podcast because it's really great. Also just gives me a chance to point out self-referentially how gracious I am by not even pointing out that you're only covering three verses in the fourth chapter of Philippians. You are gracious that, and kind. And that you've totally missed your um, goal for when you were definitely going to finish the sermon so series. So lost the bet. And we had a bet. But like, we're just not even going to talk about it because oh, my yoke sh- is easy and my burden is like, no, what I'm saying is we're not even going to talk about that. Today. Because this is me being, you know, forever. We're never going to, we're just not even going to talk about it because oh, I am so gracious I think it's worse. and merciful. <laughs> well, we're not going to talk about it. I'm just going to be gracious and Oh my, merciful. okay. Yeah. Oh, so, that's hard. Yeah. Well, um... So Paul is writing this letter, and of course, it would have been read at a gathering of the church, and um, toward the toward the end, in this fourth chapter, he calls out two women by name yep. because they are in conflict. Yeah. And I mean, just imagine you're sitting Three in line. I know. I mean, right? Like, like how awkward, hard conversation. Here we go, and clearly. Or it seems that it's pretty clear that this is not an issue of bad doctrine because Paul would have called that out in a second. This is not an issue of immorality because Paul calls that stuff out. I mean, just read Corinthians. Mm -hmm. This is some conflict in the church that needs to be addressed because Paul is clear that the unity and health of the church Mm -hmm. is at stake. And these are not, these women are not bad people. Mm and he says in the text, their names are written in the book of life. Yeah, I mean, it's so fascinating because, I mean, I can remember studying this in seminary. And I can, I mean, I vividly remember my professor standing up in front of this lecture hall, 80 people, and, and just talking about how his thesis, which is pretty common, is that the whole letter to the Philippians is written because of this one conflict between these two women. Mm -hmm. And I can just remember thinking, like, you're crazy. And part of the reason I thought that was so crazy is because I didn't, because my assumption that those kinds of conflicts were normal, Mm. inevitable, and needed to be swept under the rug so that we could get about the big business of doing and being church, right? That, I mean, it's just that assumption that like, there's going to be some sausage making in every church. It's just what you got to do, put up Mm -hmm. with it, suck it up and, and focus on the holy things. And Paul is saying, no, this, like the way we treat one another is the gospel. And sometimes 
you just have to have awkward conversations. Absolutely. Right? Like things don't spontaneously yes. get better. Yes. Especially if we just, you know, if we don't name it and it just mm-hmm. grows in power. But it's so interesting also just that idea that this personal conflict between these two women who I'm sure even though, I mean, they're humans and men and women, when they're in conflict, you know, talk about it in confidentiality with their friends or whatever. But I mean, still, we maintain this facade that, oh, this is just between the two. Like, it doesn't affect everyone. And Paul is saying, oh, it does. Well, and Paul even names someone else and says, help them. Help Mm -hmm. them resolve this. It's not just between the two of them. This is an issue for the church. Um, So, yeah, I... I'm I'm really eager to uh, dig into this text some more, and I think it's just it's a Kairos moment for us, right? Yeah. Um, as we yeah. prepare to have some hard conversations, living out our core values. This is this is something that we have to learn how to do because it's gonna if we're gonna move toward health and faithfulness, if we're gonna walk in faithfulness, we're gonna have to do this over and over again, right. knowing that. It's, we don't have to dread it. Right. And like, I thought I was going to say with like some anticipation and hopefulness, because it's not like Paul says, what, what are our names? Like Synecdoche and Eurydice? Euodia. Euodia. I mean, <laughs> Paul doesn't say like Yodia, Yodia, like, get out. Yeah. Right? That's right. You don't belong here. That's I mean, right. both of these women belong. Their names are both written in the book of light. They, yes. they are. So mm-hmm. the gospel message, I mean, the gospel value doesn't throw people away like garbage it invites people to come into life with jesus to repent and come alive i mean you know so when someone is in the congregation again if we believe that the holy spirit brought them there Mm -hmm. then even if you know there's just wildly inappropriate you know behavior going on a faithful person is going to say huh i'm very curious yeah about why God has this person here mm-hmm. and what God will do. And it doesn't mean that we sort of normalize all this behavior and act like it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that sometimes we wouldn't have to say, hey, you're welcome here, but you can't bring that behavior with you. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But but it does mean to say, I don't believe that the simplest solution is just to ice this person out and hope that they leave. Yes. I mean, that this person's life, soul has weight yeah. and it is our privilege not to reject a sister or a brother, but to ask God to let us be part of, you know, ushering in the abundant life that God has promised to them. And the reality is we might think that we're doing that for someone else. And the reality is we might be the someone else, right? So we have to be a community that doesn't, I mean, where we love our enemies. Well, and Paul calls these two women his co-workers, Mm -hmm. right? That's, that's a big deal. So clearly they're leaders in this Well, church. and you know, I mean, but don't you find that all the time? Like all the time when people are struggling with conflict with someone in the church, it's someone I love talking about someone I love. Yeah. Right? Because Oh, that's good. Because of the role, not because of me, but because of the role I play in the mm-hmm. congregation, people um like I just think I don't I don't think it's in authenticity, but I think it's people are vulnerable enough to kind mm-hmm. of reveal things and like, you know, just show up in a different way and, or they're, I mean, whatever, like people are complicated. And so they can be incredibly gifted and loving in one place. And then in a different situation, their brokenness can just, yes. I mean, it just, it, people are well, just complicated. What follows this text 
is Paul says, again, rejoice in the Lord, but then he starts to talk about anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. Be anxious for nothing, Mm -hmm. right? So when we're walking in, operating in anxiety, yeah, we do some... Some unhelpful we do some terrible things. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and it's funny because we were just talking about that this week, that how can we have a passion for the ministry we're doing and how can we really care mm-hmm. and not let that be anxiety, right? Like Because I think so often when people really care, mm-hmm. the only way we know how to express that is to walk around with our shoulders up mm-hmm. by our ears and just being mm-hmm. like, well, it has to be better and how's it going to be better and I'm trying my hardest and they're not trying mm-hmm. their hardest and it's mm-hmm. never going to be any better. I mean, you know, so that our, our vision becomes actually an impediment that yes. steals our peace yes. instead of something that guides us and really says like, no, the Lord is in this. Mm-hmm. And so if we have a vision and it's from the Lord and we're faithful, God will bring it to pass. And and if it's not from the Lord and we're faithful and God doesn't bring it to pass, you know, no harm, no foul, right? Yes. So that, yes. anyway, well, that's really, that's that makes me want to preach one <laughs> sermon that's cold. That's cold. That's cold. That's cold. Truth. It's truth. But I would love to know what you're preaching on Sunday. Uh, we are still neighboring, and um, we're talking about the holiness of small things. I think that's what it's called. Um, but I think you know one of the reasons that we are stopped from neighboring is often because we we think that we have more important things to do, hmm. or we think you know I could get involved with this particular person, but I can't really meet all their needs, hmm. and so I just you know, I, I'm not going to, um, and I, I think, um, so we're using the text from John, the feeding of the 5,000 and John or 4,000 where the little boy offers his lunch. Right. And just this idea that when we offer something little and something that's clearly insufficient, but we offer it not with faith in our gift, but faith in Jesus, that God often does just incredible things that God's grace is a multiplier in ways that we would never imagine. And and so I think kind of the goal would be to approach neighboring is to say, you know, these are, are small things that I would do both for my actual neighbors and then in certain situations that, you know, in my eyes don't look like they're going to change the, the world or be a turning point moment. No, I just get lost in the noise of the day, but... But if I know that I'm making these gifts because not because I believe in their power or my power, but because I believe that Jesus is alive and at work in the world and still the gospel is being written, then that makes it really exciting to give five loaves and two fishes because because who knows what God might do with yeah, that. That's so good. And God does not. I mean, listen, I'm not turning down any big gifts that anyone <laughs> might send a gross way, but God doesn't work through big gifts. Um, they're they're small, like weak. Um, widows might anyway. Yeah. So that that's what we're doing. That's good. So yeah, we'll see. Well, that's it. Um, my job to do the closing as always. So if you want to hear um, Yolanda's really good sermon series on the Book of Philippians, you're then very kind and gracious. I'm very truthful. Uh, you want to check out his sermons? They are on the Derida Church podcast on the Mem Bean. Podbean. Uh, Podbean. Sorry, Mimbean is a CMS. <laughs> That's why I'm confused. Vocabulary site. Don't go there. 
Podbean um, mm-hmm. site. Those are there. Um, if you want to listen to Sermons at the Grove, we're having some technical difficulties, but um, there is a podcast, the Grove Charlotte podcast on iTunes, and so we will solve our difficulties, and they will be there. And you can check out both of our churches at our websites. Um, you can search for Jiraida Presbyterian Church on Google, and that's the quickest way to get to Yolanda's website, and uh, you can go to thegrovecharlotte.org to check out our churches. See you next week.